Well, if you have your Bibles, you can open them or keep them open to John chapter 8, the end of 48 through 59, where we will be spending most of our time today. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in an argument where it's coming to the end, we start to realize we're losing. We start to look at the argument and we go, I'm pretty sure they've got me. Now, if you've never been there, kudos, good for you, Jackson, good job, buddy. Or you've never given birth to a daughter yet, good luck. But we've all been there, right? And what happens, what tends to happen for people when they get into an argument and they start to lose, what do they tend to do? I mean, what do we all tend to do, right? We tend to start reaching out for anything to try to win. We try to do anything possible. We start to throw insults. We start to throw reasons why they can't be trusted. Anything to write off or dismiss the person we're in an argument with. I mean... Give you an example. If you're in an argument with me over, let's say, the world's biggest debate, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan, who's the greatest of all time, you could stop it. You could easily say, you could easily say, wait, wait a minute, Andrew, aren't you from Ohio? Aren't you already a little biased? Aren't you already a little brainwashed? Isn't your claim to fame that your high school played against him and lost by 60? Isn't that your claim? Right? Or maybe the sports argument isn't there for you. Think back just to COVID, where we would hear people make arguments for masks or not for masks, and you start to try to write them off by saying, aren't they, don't they just listen to CNN? Don't they just listen to Fox? Aren't they from a blue state or a red state? We do that, don't we? We do that when we're in an argument and we feel like we're starting to lose grasp of the argument. We start to figure out any way to write those people off, especially when what we're arguing over is so important to us, can impact our lives, can change everything about us. We will start throwing out anything possible to explain away why we shouldn't listen to them. Why they're not, they have no authority over us, or they shouldn't have over any authority over anyone else. In our text today, that is exactly what the Jews are doing to Jesus. The Jews are coming, you've got to remember, these are Jews who said they believed in verse 31. There's some, some of them are Pharisees who start believing what Jesus said. They're coming to Jesus, and they're starting to try to explain him away. They're going to ask a pretty pointed question, but Jesus is going to answer the question behind the question. And it's a question that not only the Jews are having to ask at this time, but it's a question all of us have to ask. It's a question that the whole world has to ask and has to get an answer to. It's the question of, who are you, Jesus? Explain yourself. Who are you? And that's exactly what the Jews are looking for. They're looking for him to explain himself. They're wanting him to explain. How can you teach this way? How can you teach with so much authority? How are you doing all these miraculous things? Explain yourself, Jesus. Who are you? 
And look at how they asked the question. Look at verse 48 with me. It says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The first two things they attack in their question is his ethnicity and his divinity. They attack his ethnicity and his divinity. Why do they start with his ethnicity? Well, you got to look back. The Samaritans are enemies with the Jews. One of two things could be happening here. Either they're saying, you're a Samaritan, therefore you're our enemy. We don't have to listen to you. Or they're saying, you're a Jew who has gone astray, an apostate, and you're as equal to a, a Samaritan to us, therefore we don't have to listen to you. And neither does anyone else who's a Jew. You see, the Samaritans had the Old Testament. They had teachings. They could have been educated on some of this stuff, but the Jews strongly disagree with them on a lot of things, and they were hostile towards each other. And if you're a Samaritan, Jesus, we don't have to listen to you. But not only do they, they don't stop there. They go, not only are, you, not only are we right in saying you're a Samaritan, but you're a demon-possessed Samaritan. And if you're a demon-possessed Samaritan, therefore you're spiritually unclean, and even more so, we don't have to listen to you. These two things would explain exactly why Jesus is able to teach the way he does, and not only teach the way he does, this would explain exactly why he's doing the healings he's doing. Now, it doesn't line up with his teaching, it doesn't line up with the way he's healing and all those things, but they'll work through that later by calling him delusional. But this is what they've done. They've started to kind of believe in him. They've come to him. They're, 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 they're working through these arguments with him, and now they're trying to write him off. They're saying, look, you can teach because you're a Samaritan. You've got some insights because you're a Samaritan. Therefore, we don't really have to listen to your teachings. Oh, and you can heal because, you know what? You've just got a demon. That's why. It's trying to brainwash us, get us away from really worshiping the true God. We don't have to listen to you. We still do this today. We know people who do this today. Some of us in this room have done this today. Some of us who say we're believers. We, we're processing these things of trying sometimes to just write Jesus off. Try to write off his teachings. Why don't we have to listen to Jesus? Well, because it's out of touch. It's teachings 2,000 some odd years old. Why, why would we listen to that? I mean, maybe you say, oh, Jesus was a good teacher, but... To say he's God? I don't know if he's really God. You know, I, I think Jesus was a good moral example, but to say he rose from the grave, that's a stretch. Teaching's okay, but ah, divinity not there. Or, I don't want his teaching or his divinity. Or you can say, you know what, Jesus might have been a real historical figure, but the writers of the New Testament, you know, they, they had an agenda. They weren't, you know, they're, they're what they said. Eh. And then the Western religion, that's ah, taken even further. You can't trust it. People today, we are still trying to explain away Jesus. But here's the question we have to ask. What if you were actually there? What if you were there? Could you use those same arguments? Those arguments might work for some people 2,000 years later, but what if you were there staring Jesus in the face? 
Could you say he's out of touch? Well, you couldn't because a bunch of people are following him. Could you say, oh, they made up his divinity? Well, that'd be hard to do because he's healing people. No, what you would have to do is you'd have to ask the exact same question the Jews are asking. Who are you? And you'd have to stand right there and wait for Jesus to explain himself. To explain who he is. How is he teaching the way he teaches? How is he healing the way he's healing? Who do you say you are? And Jesus gives a perfect response to all their questions, starting with this one and ones to come. And he does it with basically four I am statements. Three describing who he is, and the fourth one finally putting the nail in the coffin of exactly who he is. And his first two statements about who he is comes out of this question, are you a demon-possessed Samaritan? And his first answer is, I am the son of the judge. Look at 48 through 50 with me. Excuse me, it says this. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Jesus' first answer is to tell them whose son he is. He's been doing this the whole time, but he's really bringing it to the forefront right here. He starts by clarifying, I don't have a demon. No, but I'll tell you who I am. I am the son of the judge, the son of the father. And the father looks to honor me, but what you've done is you've actually dishonored me. Which he's been telling them that, listen, I am the son of the father, and I've been trying to glorify him, and he glorifies me. But he takes it a step further here. He says, not only do I look to glorify him, but there is one who looks to glorify me. And you know who that is? He's the judge. He's your judge. This wouldn't have been new to them. No, they've been familiar with a judgment to come. But they've never thought that they'd be face to face with the son of the judge. And in result, they've dishonored him. And in result, they've dishonored the judge. Imagine that you were uh, on trial. You're standing outside the courtroom. You're standing outside the courtroom doors. You're working through your testimony. You're looking through it. This sounds good. This looks good. Okay. All right. I think I can win over the judge here. I think I got it. You stand at the door, and a young man comes up to you. He goes, what you here for? You start saying, well, I'm, I'm on trial. You want to tell me your testimony? You want to tell me? I guess. You start telling the young man, and he starts asking questions. You start saying, hey, mate, mate, what if you said this way or did this way? Or said you start going, who the heck are you, man? You start getting frustrated by what he's saying, and he's saying some good, helpful things, but you don't want to hear it. You think your testimony is good enough. You get so frustrated that you start throwing some insults. You might even want to fight the guy. Before you do that, the court doors open. You walk in and you say, Your Honor. And he walks in and says, Good morning, Father. Your jaw drops. You're shocked. That's the son of the... Wait a minute. What? That's, that's a powerful judge. I just insulted son. Jesus' point is, I'm the son of the one you will be judged by. 
And by dishonoring me, attacking me, mocking me, wanting to kill me, you're dishonoring, mocking, attacking, and killing him. You say you want to bring honor to him, but you don't see the one that he sent to bring you to him. And by doing so, by mocking and dishonoring him, it will not go well for them or anyone else in history who does so. Luke 9.26 says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. The Jews are ashamed of his teachings. So much so they call him an enemy. They call him possessed. They're trying to write him off. But they don't see whose son this is. They don't see who he's the son of. But Jesus goes on, not only am I the son of the judge, but I'm the keeper of the words of life. Look at verse 51 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus says, not only am I the son of the judge of the universe, I'm the keeper of eternal life. And the way that you are to receive eternal life is through my word. Through my words, keeping them, receiving them. So what does this mean? What does this mean when he says this? Well, first, we really have to understand what, that, what those words truly, truly are doing here. They're really powerful. They, they actually mean, mean amen, amen. And that idea is, is this is sure, this is secure, this is finished, this will last. This is true, what's about to be said. But there's also an interesting part about where they're placed. Throughout the New Testament, truly, truly, or amen, or truthfully I say, that's used a lot through the New Testament. But if it's at the end of a sentence, it's usually man saying something about God. But if it's at the beginning, it's God saying something about himself. God is saying something about the words of Jesus Christ here. That his words are the words of life. And if you receive them, you will have life. Jesus has been saying this all throughout John with truly, truly. And he'll continue to say it past this section. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say to you. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin and will die in that sin. John 10, 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is making a divinely authoritative statement about himself. He's saying, I don't have a demon. Rather, I have the words of life. Better yet, as John points out, he is the word of life. And if you want to stand before the judge with confidence, you better receive his words. Cling to him. Enter life, enter salvation through him. Consume him, as he says. That is the only hope against the judge's against the judge's good and righteous judgment. 
problem is the Jews can't hear it. They don't hear it. They don't want to hear it. They can't hear that Jesus is the son of the father, the judge, the one who's after, who's seeking Christ's glory. And they can't believe that he's the keeper of eternal life. Rather, they're not listening for truth. They're not seeking that in arguing with them. No, what they're looking for is ammunition. Listen to how they respond to Jesus' claim in 52 through 53. It says this, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? You can hear the Jews going, Aha! We got you. You're delusional. You must have a demon. The greatest of all of us died. Abraham, the patriarchs died. The prophets died. And you say, if we just follow and believe your words, we won't taste death. We won't die. You're crazy. You're delusional. And you know, you can, and, and they also finally reveal their real question, right? They've revealed the right question, but with the wrong motives. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right? Instead of seeking this with a faith-filled curiosity, they're, search, they're, they're asking this with sarcasm and rebellion and rejection. Just like when we're losing an argument with someone who's coming off as an authority, we often ask, who do you think you are, man? Back off. What gives you the right? Well, Jesus is going to answer. He's going to answer this by saying, I am the hope. I am the hope of your father, Abraham. Look at 54 through 56. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. You know, when we ask that question, who do you think you are? There's often a clear assumption behind that question. That we think that person is just a little bit full of themselves. They've got a little bit of an agenda going on. They're feeling pretty good about themselves in our argument, and they're trying to promote themselves within this argument or pr promote their point of view. And Jesus catches on to that, and he clarifies, listen, I'm not here for my own glory, but the Father is, the judge, the one. He seeks it. There is one who seeks it, whom you say you're a child of. Basically saying if you said you were a child of, you would see who I am, and you would receive me. You would receive my words. Because if you did know him, you would want to follow me. But Jesus clarifies, I do know the Father. If I would say I don't know the Father like you're looking for, I'd be lying. But I'm not going to lie. I do know him, and I keep and follow his words. But he takes it one step further, doesn't he? He takes it one step further by saying, you know, you want to bring up Abraham. Let's talk about Abraham. Your father, the one that you boast about being a ch children of, the one that you say you follow, well, guess what? He looked forward to me. He rejoiced about me. I was his hope. 
I am not only his hope, but I was the hope of Israel. I'm the hope of the world. Everyone is searching and looking for me. Now, there's a lot of debates on what he's saying here, and the commentators are split. They're kind of all over the place. But I think simply what's happening is if you go back to Genesis 12, back to Genesis 15, where the promises are given to Abraham, they find all their fulfillments in Christ. When it's saying that you will have a, a great, that, that, that your people will be a great nation as, as numerous as the stars in Genesis 15, but in that same section, he goes on to say, but they will be servants of a master that's not theirs. They will be spread out. There has to be a Messiah that comes and saves them. You can even go to, to where he's going to sacrifice his son. And God says, stop, and he provides the ram. He knew that God was going to provide a savior. And he rejo Abraham rejoiced at that. Rejoiced at seeing that that will take place. So who does Jesus think he is? He thinks he's Abraham's hope. That he's Israel's hope. That he is the hope to the world and he will be the blessing to all the nations, to the world. But again, the Jews don't listen. They don't have ears ready and hearts open. No, rather, again, they're just seeking ammunition. They're just looking for ways to write off and dismiss Jesus. And in this part, you can almost hear the chuckle in their voices. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? You're not even 50. And you've seen Abraham. They've missed the point. They missed the point that he's the son of the judge to whom they will be judged by. They missed the point that he's the giver of life. And whoever receives his words receive eternal life. They missed the point that Christ is the hope of their father, of their father Abraham, the hope of the world. And now they're missing the point. And as a result, they try to laugh him off and say he's crazy. But he's not even 50. And 50 is important because that's the age of retirement for the Jews. They're saying you're not even old enough to retire, let alone say you've seen someone who's almost 2,000 years your senior. You're crazy. But Jesus isn't making a claim that has to do with age or, or anything chronological. No. He's saying something so much more. And Jesus' final claim, his final answer to this, is to simply say to them, I am. Look at 58 through 59 with me. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is again, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus took all of his answers and boiled it down to one statement. You want to know who I am? I am. And now they're awake. They're not awake to who he is. They're awake to their anger and their rage. And they're taking, him, they're taking that so serious. They're not going back to the ethnicity claims. They're not going back to the demon possession claims. They are just simply ready to win this fight. And they start throwing haymakers. No, actually, they start throwing rocks. 
The Jews knew exactly what he just said. They knew exactly what he just, and who he just claimed to be. That he just claimed to be God. He, he used the first half of God's identifying name that he gave to Moses in the Exodus, which we had read earlier. He used the first half of the I am, claiming to be sent by God and that he is God. He's sent by the Father and he's one with the Father. He was sent to bring salvation to the world, salvation to his own. And it says in the beginning of John, he was sent to his own and his own did not know him. They didn't receive him. They didn't believe him. Rather, they wanted to kill him. This is such a powerful statement by Jesus. He says it has simply nothing to do with whether or not I've seen Abraham or Abraham's seen me. It's the fact that I was before Abraham. This says about who I am. I am the one sent by whom you say you are a child of, who you say you love, who you say you know, but you don't believe me? How was Moses to convince the Jews that he was sent by God? By saying God's name. By using the name given to God by God. And only God can claim to have that name. And that's exactly what Jesus does. John opened his letter with this, saying that he was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But Jesus is saying, not only was I with God, but I am sent by God. And the way you know that I'm God, the way you can see that I am who I say that I am, is by receiving my words and believing that I am God. So, that question that not only the Jews ask, but the whole world has to ask, who is Jesus? Who does he say that he is? His simple answer is, I am. The Jews' reaction is actually in line with their law. To commit blasphemy, to say that you are divine or that, that you are divine and it's not true, if they believe it's not true, they are to stone you. Is death. The problem is, it's supposed to be through a certain righteous kind of court hearing trial that they didn't want to take Jesus through. They believe they had just done it. And so they look to kill him. His answer ignites anger, hatred, and, and rage to put an end to him. That's how they think they're going to win the fight, this argument. But the reality is that this is actually a warning to all of us who have yet to respond to the teachings of Jesus, yet to receive his word. Jesus tell us, tells us in this passage that he is the son of the judge who will judge the world. He is the giver of life. He is the hope of the world and that he is God. How do we respond to this? Do we respond in love? Carrie gave us, point out that there was a litmus test given in the passage last week about saying that if you say you love God, then you would love Jesus. There's a lot of us who want to say, you know, I believe in God. I don't really know about Jesus. The problem is this passage is making it very, very clear that that doesn't work. Saying you believe in God and reject Jesus can, cannot and will not work. God is the judge. Jesus is his son. 
To dishonor, to reject the son is to dishonor and reject the judge. To say you believe in God but reject Jesus' words only leads to death, not to life with God. And to say I believe in God but reject the one whom he has sent as the hope of the world is to not know the true God and to believe in him. And to believe in God, to say I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus, is to be, as Jesus called the Jews, liar. It's to be a liar. You can't do it. It doesn't work. Because like the Jews, you can only respond in one of two ways to the teachings of Jesus. You will either want to keep his words and follow him, or more simply put, love him, or you will find every way to write him off, every way to see him put to death in your life. You will reject him long enough until he is dead to you, until he disappears to you. You see, in this passage, there are two subtle things happening. There is an invitation and there's a warning. There's a subtle invitation to everyone by Jesus. And then there's also a very subtle warning. Verse 51 is the invitation. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is an invitation to receive eternal life from Christ. This is why John wrote this letter. He says at the end of his letter, I wrote this so you can believe in Jesus Christ and have life everlasting. This is is, and, and this is why God sent Jesus, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the invitation. This is the hope to receive his teachings, to receive Christ himself for salvation. Don't wait. Do not wait. Because that is the subtle warning to those who say, I'll wait, I'll hold off. Not yet. It's at the end of this passage, verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is an allusion to Ezekiel 10, where the glory of God is leaving the temple, leaving the city because of the sinful rebellion and rejection of Israel to him. And that leaving in, that, in Ezekiel 10 is actually a gradual leaving. He's gradually leaving because he's given him every opportunity to receive him and to repent and return to him. Just like Jesus is giving them every opportunity in this argument to turn to him, to repent and believe and receive his words. But what happened? Due to the Jews' rejection of Jesus, they couldn't see him. You see, when we read this word, we almost, when we read this sentence, we almost see it as, as like almost a, a at least for me, almost like a cowardice kind of hiding. Jesus hid? Like what? What? But the Greek makes it clear that it's not that he hid, but he became hidden to them. They couldn't see him. Through their rejection, through their dismissal, through them trying to write him away, they gradually became blind to who he is. That's the warning. Putting him off. He might just let you become blind to him. In their rejection of him, they did kill him. 
They did murder him. They dishonored him to the point of hanging him on a tree, which the Old Testament teaches is a curse. They cursed him, sentencing him to a wrongful death, a criminal's death. But the irony, the irony in all this is that that's exactly what we all needed. We needed the son of the judge to take our judgment. We need the word of life, the bread of life to be broken on the cross on our behalf so we can receive life. And we need the hope of Abraham, the hope of the world to rise again from that grave so all can look upon him and receive salvation. And we need it in his resurrection to see him rise so when he says, I am, we can know that it's true. So how do you respond to the explanation of Jesus? Do you love him? Do you follow him? Or do you pick up stones to kill him? Let's pray. Father, may our hearts submit to the teachings of Christ and receive eternal life. We pray for this. In Jesus' holy name, amen.